Blood-curdling greetings, every single one of you. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. Those tunes you just heard are, as always, courtesy of my buddy, Bobby Mackey, and I'm your host with the ghost, Tessa Morrow. Thornhaven Manor, not to be confused with Thornhaven Castle in Wales, was built in 1845 by a gentleman named Simon Powell in Newcastle, Indiana. Thornhaven is equipped with four chimneys, seven different exits, and four staircases, hidden rooms underground, tunnels, and a massive cavern. It is capped in limestone and even has a natural springs that runs right underneath it. Talk about that crazy energy going on, huh? This butte is believed to once have been a stop for the Underground Railroad. Now, Simon Powell, he was one of the wealthiest men in the area. He may have been a wealthy man, but money could not buy him health and luck. At the young age of 14, he finds himself crippled due to palsy. And while in the Civil War, he brings home with him a very very unwanted souvenir, losing the use of his left leg. Life wasn't all that bad, though. I mean, he finds true love with a woman named Elizabeth Thornburg. She and her husband had several children together. Then he dies suddenly, leaving her a widow and the sole provider for their children. Thornhaven Manor was more than big enough for Elizabeth and her children. So they move in with Simon, and he marries the widow Elizabeth, and they together end up having four children of their own. With new life into the world, they sadly suffer loss as well. One of their children dies at the tender age of two in the manor. And several years later, their oldest daughter, Esther Catherine, she dies in the house as well. She makes it to 25 years, more than her late sibling. But still... I mean, 27 is still quite young of an age to die. Mama Bear Elizabeth, she passes away in 1881, and in 1901, 20 years after his wife's death, Simon, who at this point had been sick for quite some time, he dies in the house, and he is reunited with his wife and children. Five years after Simon Powell's death, another death occurs in the house. But unlike the other ones I mentioned, this one is anything but natural. In 1906, the caretaker for Thornhaven, a man named Reuben Bailey, was murdered by his coward of a son-in-law, Frank Thurman. The Indianapolis Star reported about the murder in their paper, March 11th, 1906. Quote, Frank Thurman, colored, was arrested this afternoon on a charge of criminal assault, preferred by Miss Malatia Bailey, colored, 
who also accuses him of the murder of her father three weeks earlier, in an attempt to cover up the criminal assault. The victim is a sister of Thurman's wife. The police are now investigating the charge that it was Thurman who placed poison in the coffee at the Bailey house, which resulted in the death of Reuben Bailey, father of the girl, and the serious illness of Mrs. Bailey and the girl herself. It was Thurman's purpose, the girl asserts, to poison her and thus rid himself of the role, but the method employed by him resulted in the death of her father. She alleges that Thurman threatened to kill her if she made known her condition, but she finally went to the offices and made the confession. The police have been working on the theory that Bailey was poisoned by thieves bent on robbery. When taken into custody, Thurman was badly frightened and at first admitted his guilt, but later made a denial of everything. When the coffee which caused the death of Bailey and serious illness of the other family members was examined by the state chemist. It is said that he found that it contained large quantities of arsenic. So, okay, I don't know. Let me get this straight. Dude marries a gal, rapes that gal's sister, his sister-in-law. The father is planning on doing what any father would do in that horrific, heinous situation. Report the crime to authorities. Dude then tries to kill the accuser, but ends up murdering the father and making other members extremely sick to keep his dirty little secret a secret. I don't know, darling. How about this for size? How about you don't rape someone? Then guess what? You aren't in a sincerely, ridiculously fucked up situation where you feel the need you have to do something so extreme to save your own hide. Just saying. I don't know. Now, it is said that both Reuben, the victim, and Frank, the murdering son-in-law, haunt Thornhaven. Their apparitions have both been seen throughout this manor. At one point, a man named Emmett Bell, he lived here, and he used part of the manor as a restaurant. Now, it's unknown really how he actually died, but he did pass away in the house. Some report that he died by hanging himself, while others report that it was a heart attack. So who knows what the COD is on that one. But all we know is, is that Emmett makes yet another death connected to Thornhaven. Apparently the last family who lived here before the current owner bought the manor left in a huge hurry. They left clothing in the closets. Even dishes were left out on the dinner table. Just boom, we're out. The current owner, a gentleman named Steve, he ends up buying the manor on a whim. He had really just gone to check the place out and he fell in love with the property. And it didn't take long for him to realize, though, that there's something more to this house, spiritually. Before he even bought the place, he was there taking pictures. All which came out not very clear. Doors were slamming shut. The realtor tells him something to the effect like, Oh, no worries. This happens all the time here. Oh, okay, thanks. Oddly enough, when he bought the place, he had to agree to certain things, some quite odd, such as no children could ever live here. <laughs> now, in the past, from what I saw online, Steve has let paranormal investigators come and investigate. Proceeds go to restoring the home. But I did see a while back that he has been quite ill for some time and has stopped doing that and uh, understandably so. 
I hope with each day that he feels better and recovers fully from whatever illness that he is dealing with. He requested the help of a medium a while back, and he was told that there were 47 spirits here. I mean, wow, that's a lot. People who've come in the past have claimed it, feeling sudden bouts of sickness, while some will feel this sort of just heaviness in your chest area. And I've been there, and it is no fun at all. Like, literally, in my case, I felt like I was having a heart attack. Like, it, it's terrifying. So, for it just to happen all at once, I mean, it's, it's horrible. Some have seen mists and apparitions and other type of manifestations. Others have caught EVPs, have heard growls, disembodied voices, moans, and so much more. People walking on the main staircase have had the unfortunate experience of feeling dizzy, coming out of nowhere, and usually followed by a killer headache. Reports of footsteps, seeing shadowy figures, and hearing unexplainable sounds like what can only be described as like a chair being dragged. Some of the teams that have come here in the past have shared some of their experiences online. One team had come here and kept experiencing cold spots and kept feeling the presence of somebody there. During an EVP session in the basement, the team members notice a puddle and what looked to be like a footprint going into the puddle. And they say that this happened three times. One of the people got violently ill and actually threw up several times. Another member communicated with the spirit of a man who claimed to be related to one of the past owners and says that he died from battle wounds that he had received at Gettysburg and is buried somewhere on the property. In addition to this, during the investigation, they also heard growling, voices, and footsteps. And yet another team was here and got several K2 EMF results and experiencing their battery-powered candles turning on all by themselves. Also, the entire team heard an eerie crackling sound and caught an EVP of a man whispering unintelligible words. One gal who has come here several times shared that every time she has come, she has received EVPs. One time, she, along with a few friends, came, and they all bore witness to hearing an audible giggle, which they caught on a recorder. And as this was happening, one of the friend's hair was actually pulled. And it is said that in pictures, you can clearly see the hair being pulled out of the hairband. I mean, you gotta love that when that happens. It's neat when... Like, like when I was in Tombstone and at the mortuary and the girl's hair is being moved with my own eyes, and I'm a dumbass for not recording it, but with my own eyes, I actually saw her hair being parted away by unseen hands. And to me, that's just awesome. You got to love that type of evidence. Yeah, I wish I would have caught it on a video, but it's ingrained in my brain forever. But it is neat when, you know, you could catch something like that on video, like these people seeing the hair being taken out of the hairband, like enough force that it's being taken out. 
Now, one girl mentions that she got her best evidence from Thornhaven, but unfortunately did not go into even the tiniest morsel of detail. One person was here a while back and received a neat EVP from a man with, quote, an odd accent, asking her, who are you? I don't even know. That's not an odd accent. Who are you? Who are you? I don't know. A team was here once, and all witnessed seeing a cloud-like mist manifest before their very eyes. One incident caught my attention. The people who came here noticed that in one area, trees had been cleared out and felt that this may have disturbed the spirits. Many things kept going wrong, where several of the team members got ill. Some apparently even decided not to investigate the paranormal anymore. I mean, quitting altogether, that to me is wild. I know a lot of people in the paranormal business, in the paranormal world, who have just suddenly stopped investigating and quit the paranormal altogether. And, you know, to each their own, and I respect them for that, for sure. It's a personal choice. I know sometimes it has to do with work or family or, you know, something like this where, you know, they were violently ill, had horrible things happen. I just, to me though, I can't imagine not having the paranormal in my life. I can't, you know, uh, so many things have happened to me from getting an attachment to getting physically ill to being stalked by creeps. But to give up the paranormal, I just, I, I don't know, to each their own. The final story I want to share is about a team that was here and they were using the XCAM SLS system when they suddenly see a stick figure standing by one of the windows that is in the living room. And I mean, this figure was about six feet tall. Other people have seen a figure in this window, and the window in question is high up, so this figure would have had to be over 10 feet tall, towering over a shack, or on a ladder. While folks may no longer be able to come here, about a 50-minute drive, you will find yourself at the Slippery Noodle Inn which happens to be the oldest continuous operating bar in Indiana. Opening their doors in 1855, and they have been serving the locals and travelers ever since. Slippery Noodle served as an official stop for the Underground Railroad during the American Civil War. Guests who have frequented this amazing joint include Peyton Manning, Tim Tebow, Harrison Ford, John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, Neil Diamond, Gene Simmons, Dave Matthews, Matt LeBlanc, Jason Presley, and Kid Rock, and so many others. Seriously, it's a long, long list. Germans, they built it, originally naming it the Tremont House. Around five years later, in 1860, the name changes to Concordia House. An unknown amount of time later, it changes names once again to the Germania House. During this time, it was a very well-known and popular German club. When the First World War came a knockin', 
the Germania house becomes Beck's Saloon, named after its owner, Louis Beck. They changed the name so there would be no any type of aggressive behavior or attack or what have you. In a world where booze, music, food, gambling, prostitution during its brothel days. <laughs> it was also a shooting range. More on that in a moment, though. But at one time or another, all of these things could be found here. Before Prohibition, a man named Walter Moore buys the property and it becomes Moore's Beer Tavern. Walter was a clever dude. He installed pipes from the basement, which fed his homemade beer to the patrons above. Besides beer, he also made his own whiskey. Mm-mm-mm, yum, yum, yum. I'll take one of each, please, and then I'll take more after that. <laughs> it was highly delicious, and at the very same time, highly illegal. Covering his ass, he even brought in a local slaughterhouse as a legal front for his illegal distillery. And at some point, Moore's Beer Tavern changed to Moore's Speakeasy. Walter even allowed folks like John Dillinger and Al Brady, who Al Brady you'll hear about in an upcoming episode, and use his fine establishment as a place for target practice. You can still see those bullet holes to this very day. As mentioned, this location was once used as a bordello. Apparently, they shut down that operation in 1953 after a man was murdered there. Two Johns were fighting over a certain lovely soil dove, and the end result, one of the men was stabbed to death. It's said that the killer made his getaway, leaving the murder weapon right on the bar. The murder victim is believed to be one of the resident spirits here. On the second floor, reports come in about an apparition of a cowboy. Also on the second floor, usually on the balcony, an apparition of a woman, thought to be a soiled dove, is seen often. Who knows, maybe it's the murder victim and the gal he was fighting for. I don't know, guy lost his life. I'd like to think that in the end, he got the gal after all. Just a guess. But I like that. Usually when the woman is seen, people will smell perfume. And quite strongly. Meanwhile, in the basement, there are reports of encounters with the spirit of an African-American man. He is believed to be one of the former caretakers. Always seen in his coveralls. People have heard him speak as well. The general manager of the Slippery Noodle believes that this man's name is George, and he has seen George many times. I saw online that the general manager shares this, quote, There is not a week that goes by that I don't hear footsteps, or doors slamming, or the sound of glass breaking, when there isn't glass breaking. Speaking of the basement there is one room that was used as a bathroom or more like an outhouse if you will and from what i've read many people believe that this is a location where bodies were once hidden as the smell of fertilizer would cover up the decay i couldn't find anything to prove that bodies are indeed down there it's just kind of guesses and speculation but i mean that would make sense one woman went down into the basement and shares that she felt a breath on the back of her neck and she heard someone whispering, telling her to leave. Now, been there, done that. I, of course, caught several EVPs throughout the years on my recordings, 
But, you know, there are some times when I just hear it right there and it's like right in my ears. If, you know, your friend's coming up and whispering in your ear, you just, you feel the breath. You hear the whisper right in your ear. Leave. Now, I found this next thing to be very interesting. At one point, a medium comes through and she shares her findings that she communicated with a man who was believed to run the stables a long time ago. She said that he was a heavy set white guy with slicked black hair and a pitted face. Now, fast forward 12 years later and a different medium from one of my favorite places, the Big Easy, the Crescent City, yes, indeed, New Orleans. And this person also encounters this very same spirit. This medium was quoted saying, a fat white guy with a pitted face like he had smallpox. Very confrontational, quite aggressive, not happy. It's neat to me that one encounter with a specific description, and then 12 years later, another encounter by a stranger, but the same description. These two mediums, they're not connected. They don't know each other. I think that's really neat. Makes me wonder who else has had encounters with this aggressive spirit downstairs. Guests and staff have experienced filling cold spots throughout the inn. Some have been physically touched. Many report hearing disembodied whispers and sounds that they just simply cannot debunk. Now, it's believed that there are at least 13 spirits that call the Slippery Noodle their forever eternal resting home. A woman named Sarah, who has the awesome job of being the inn's event coordinator, shared online one interesting encounter. A wedding was taking place one day at the inn, and the limo driver had kind of stuck around, and while having lunch, he had asked Sarah, Who was that woman in the balcony? In his mind, he thought that they must have hired a photographer. When he describes the woman, it was the apparition of the soiled dove. The staff lovingly calls Sarah. Now, it is said that slaves would come here and hide out in the basement until it was safe to leave and then catch a train to hightail it out of there. The current owner, Hal, his parents actually bought this place in the early 1960s when he was just a young boy. The day they could rightfully call it their own was on December 13th. And yes, my friends, Friday the 13th. This is kind of neat. They they were undecided on what to call the establishment. So people, they th- wrote names and one was picked. The winner was by... Hal's father, and it's been the Slippery Noodle Inn ever since. Quite a catchy name for sure and rather unique. Gotta love it. So come on over. Grab a bite to eat. Enjoy the spirits. See what I did there? Mm Mm-hmm. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others, you guys. They are all pretty phenomenal. Haven't heard every single one yet? No worries, just head on over to any of those podcast platforms such as Owltell, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Deezer, Spotify, wherever you may roam to listen to your other spooky podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcast lurking in the background. This week's special city shoutouts go to Mount Dora, Florida, Bloomington, Indiana, Normal, Illinois, Barrigada Village, Guam, and Aiea, Hawaii. As always, thank you so much, everybody, for coming and stopping by. 
we are a little over the three-year mark now, so that is pretty cool. Be sure to come back Monday as the newest episode will be out and available for your listening pleasure. Have a story of your own to share. Reach out. I would love to hear from you. Paraprowl at gmail.com or find me on the Paranormal Prowlers podcast page on Facebook or Paraprowl on Twitter. Thank you all, and we will see you next week.